0: Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book 2 Free Will and Other Compulsions A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of
1: Lorian Wheeler Christiana Ellis Kitty McKeon George Clensos Aaron K. Balabanian.
0: With original music by Danny Shade. This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now...
2: Episode 9. Hello, this is Kitty Nakian. I produce this podcast and also write Kitty's Corner for the next 10,000 hours. You're listening to Free Will, Episode 9. And this is the story so far. On Luna, Jade cut off from her sister and estranged from her partner, has found a purpose in the rhythm and pulse of the protests in the Gallery Bazaar. Plunging towards Earth, Joss Kyle has placed his fate into the hands of Alyssa Hartman, whom he expects to help clear his name, while on Earth, Marion Shelley, still estranged from her father, attempts to resume something resembling a normal life. And now, Episode 9 of Free Will and Other Compulsions.
0: 23 November, 21-29 Jade hadn't been home for over a week except to change clothes between shifts. Three days ago, Doug had returned. She knew it because he wasn't making the bed after he slept in it, but their schedules hadn't intersected yet. She was in no great hurry to run into him. The party at the Gallery Bazaar had spilled down the serpentine levels three-quarters of the way to the spaceport now, and she'd taken the opportunity to set up her own booth in the concourse between terminals C and D. Every day, the news from the front lines grew a little worse. Frigates destroyed, cargo hijacked, pirates on the move, Washington trying to strip more lunar autonomy. Every day, the rumors seemed more like something from a nightmarish history book. And every day the impromptu festival grew. As it did, Jade found the reading she did to keep up with Doug's political discussions increasingly salient. In a colony where everybody actually did depend on the good behavior of their fellows for their survival, fierce individualism was an essential counterbalance to tyranny. In Jade's tenure at the sit-in, the ornery character of the average loony had expressed itself in donations. She was helping the cause with her body painting, so people brought in privacy screens and, in one case... A strong box for donations so she could buy more supplies without going out of pocket or having to chase down thieves. They didn't want her to have a reason to quit. A couple meters away from her booth, a makeshift stage had grown up, its occupants soundtracking her evenings with rhetoric as volatile as the surface of the sun. Jay didn't dare take the dais herself. Lockscore corps wasn't exactly tickled pink about the civil unrest, and if she became a spectacle, she'd lose her job and probably make trouble for Doug along the way. But in the rare moments between human canvases, when she wasn't telecommuting, she lay on her bench, and her whole body hummed like a diva soprano's wine glass. Here in Luna City, she was used to feeling the outsider. The earth-facing side was prime real estate, with the latest facilities, optimized for human living. Even the chintzy sleep lockers, which she'd shared with Cass for five locks a night when they first moved here, were better than anything on the other side, where the ground was covered with fluid leaks from the great machines and the only light was what you brought with you. Those people down there on Earth, oppressed by all that horrible gravity, trapped under that soupy atmosphere, knew nothing but destruction, cruelty, and violence. There was only one place on Luna where Earth's brutal logic played out perfectly. Darkseid. A machine powering the boot that stamped on the human face forever. In polished to a gleam Luna City, Jade had thought herself the only one who knew what went on in the dark places. But she wasn't. They all knew.
2: You think they give a shit about us down there, with their free air and their free shielding?
0: The agitator had been at it for weeks now. She never got tired, her bullhorn always to her lips, an old-style bullhorn for effect.
2: They want us passive. They want us weak. They won't even let us arm our own cities against asteroid strikes, or our ships against piracy, or our world against Persian attack. They want us quiet, docile. They want us to be children, to do what we're told. Well, we are not children. We will not do as we're told. And we will not go away. Fuck them. Let them come. We'll show them how to survive on vacuum.
0: They all knew. And soon, everyone on Earth would know, too. The little girl she used to be wasn't alone here. Here, there was enough rage to go around. That kind of rage had been useful before. It had gotten Jade and Cassie out of hell. Now, it could be useful again. It would free Luna from the dead weight that held her down. Jade's soul thrummed like an asteroid just edging over the tipping point of a gravity well as she put the finishing touches on an ambi-zombie makeup, almost. Gashes and bruises and layoff Luna painted everywhere like knife wounds.
1: Okay, this should last until you decide to change back to male. If you want it off sooner, Soap lift it right out. You're a gem.
0: The tall woman for the moment stepped off the stool and looked over herself in the two mirrors Jade had set up in the corner near the opening in her curtains.
2: It's glorious. Take me, Gregory, to the Capitol
0: steps. Temporary she swept her left arm out and then followed it through the opening, joining a man, or at least a man for the moment. All of the ambies Jade had ever known tended to prefer variety but dislike multiple partners, so they tended to seek out others of their own kind presumably the aforementioned Gregory. Jade waved her client out, then followed out of the little curtained booth to her table in front of it. To the right of her stool, she had a basin set up. She used the foot pump to give herself a little lubrication for the soap, and scrubbed the paint off her hands. It was about time for some dinner, and she didn't much fancy eating the stuff, though it was technically edible. Behind her, someone tapped on her table with a credit chit. She was busy scrubbing her left forearm, but she wasn't so hungry she couldn't manage one more before dinner.
1: Heading to the booth. Take off your clothes. I'll be with you in a minute.
0: She finished the scrub and ran her hands through a portable air blade to dry them. She took her squeeze bottle from the table and took a good long drink of the small beer she'd filled it with. Nice and refreshing, enough ethanol to keep her perky, not enough to drag her down. Her stomach growled at her, but not too loudly. One more, as long as it was simple. One more would be good. So? Jade pushed back through the opening in the curtains.
1: What sort of thing were you...
0: Her brain skittered to a stop when she saw the tall, impossibly dark man sitting on the table waiting for her. His clothes were still on. It didn't matter. She knew perfectly well how he looked without them.
1: Doug, um... It's okay. Not really.
0: She should have known he'd come. He didn't like loose ends. She didn't like to think what that implied about her. But he was here now. Might as well out with it.
1: I'm sorry. I'll have my stuff moved out by the end of the week.
0: Doug blinked. Twice. Three times.
1: What are you talking about?
0: Now it was her turn to blink. She crossed her arms over her chest and looked him over again. Street clothes. Not the business clothes he wore under the judicial robes. Loose-fitting knock-around stuff that he usually only wore around the house. He'd known she was here, and he came dressed to stay.
1: I thought you... I came here to find you. You haven't been home. I have. Then.
0: He rose to his feet, but didn't cross the gulf between them.
1: Why didn't. Look, Doug.
0: She brushed a curl away from her face and hooked it behind her ear. He'd never been sadistic like this before. Talking had always been the easy part. Of course, that was before he knew about the lies.
1: I know you know who I am. I'm sorry. I lied to you. I, I don't expect you to believe me, but I never gave her anything that would compromise you. Miss Orenthal. Yeah. The game was up.
0: She knew it as well as she knew the itch in her feet that always started up when it was time to move on. Best thing she'd ever had, and she got it as a favor to Cassie. A home. She always knew it wouldn't last, but she never guessed it would disappear so soon.
1: I don't have any excuses, so don't ask me for any.
0: She stepped toward him, reached out for his face, touched his bristly chin. He hadn't shaved today. His eyes were hollow, like he hadn't been sleeping, overworking himself again, probably worried where she'd gone and who she'd told about him, or what she knew.
1: I'm sorry. And for what it's worth, I really do love you.
0: Jade took her hand away, then almost reached for him again. But she wasn't going to beg his forgiveness. She'd done her job best she could. She'd been dumb enough to fall in love, to get caught between the two people she loved most in the world, There was only one decent thing left to do. She shoved her hand in her apron pocket, whirled on her heel, and stepped out from between the curtains. Jade. His gorgeous baritone could make her come or cry any time she let it, but she wasn't allowed to anymore. She was done wallowing. She locked her strongbox and picked it up to take with her.
1: Jade, stop.
0: She ignored him, even when he came out and touched her back while she tidied up her things. She shut the touch out, ignoring the backflips her stomach did as his fingers made contact with her bare skin.
1: This isn't- Stop. No more.
0: Her voice was as strong and clear as her stomach was rubbery. She shrugged away, dodged around her table, taking her strong box and squeeze bottle with her. Jade! He called after her, but didn't chase her. She was glad he didn't, and cared fuck all for that part of her that was aching for him to tell her it was okay to apologize for not calling, to tell her he knew all along, to invite her into his inner circle. She'd blown that. She'd never get it back. In her whole life, she'd never had a home for more than a year at a time. He'd been home for over three. Jade set her jaw hard as she sped from a firm walk to a dash through the crowd to catch the gallery lift. She kept her eyes clear with sheer force of will for the ride up to the agrodome. She counted the steps to the stand of Douglas firs at the North End. She breathed deep the conifer sense and let herself get the crying done in private. Now he was gone, or she was, and Cassie was lost to her. It was time to find a new home. The city was humming, her booth was doing well. She had friends she could stay with, maybe, but that was for later. For now, she needed the furs. Chapter 4. Fugitive. Destination, Earth. 7 December, 21-29. What's the plan? she asked. Twenty minutes later, Allie wished she hadn't. As far as she could see, in Joss's lexicon, plan was the semantic equivalent of vaguely envisaged suicide attempt. He didn't have details, he didn't have means, he only had a target and a few more days to plan. But her boredom, at least, found the kind of salve it had been craving. There were security systems to learn and surveillance camera coverage to map out for four different locations and a lot of highway. Learning her home country from the point of view of the criminal, rather than the nearly cop. It kept her occupied for at least a few hours every day, though it still didn't give her the system's access to get another message out. When she wasn't researching, she conferred with Joss, going over details, trying to think of contingencies. A great deal would have to be left till the last minute. Not knowing where their quarry would be when they landed hamstrung them, but Joss said he'd take care of that. And, for some reason that felt deeper than the assurance that her bomb remote provided her, she believed him. She needed to believe him, which is why she hadn't checked up on what exactly the remote was. Not yet. She'd check before they hit ground, but not yet. For now, to keep her head, she needed to believe. It had been a long time since she really believed in anything. Believed with her hope instead of her dread or her anger. She'd almost forgotten how. The rest of her time she spent in drills. There wasn't a great deal of spare space to move around on Fugitive and gravity was hit and miss as they sometimes moved under acceleration and sometimes coasted down the incline to Earth. But she had to get into military condition. Anytime they were under acceleration, she used the pace space in her quarters to practice her quick draws, her tumbling, her blocking, all the hand-to-hand combat she'd tailored for herself over the 20 years since her first grappling courses as a prepubescent. When Joss was available, they sparred in the hall, When they were in freefall, they drilled on radio calls over the intercom, and she used the exercise equipment in the galley to hone her condition. Little by little, each day became a little more purposeful, a little more bearable than the last. She was determined to keep it that way, as long as possible. As far as Joss was concerned, he'd simply traded one set of problems for another, Now that Alyssa wasn't trying to kill him, was even marginally on his side, he could afford to deactivate the appliance that dosed her with bonding hormones. It would stay there, inert, in the wall of her small intestine until it came loose and passed out on its own. Without power, it would only stick a few days. Of course, all that meant was that he got to see her unfiltered. He preferred the drugs. He preferred the mood swings. Now that she was on task, focused like a shark in blood... She was far too easy to want. Her hardness, coldness, alacrity, and predatory grace pulled at his strings in a way not far different from the way he'd used hormones to pull hers. A few more weeks, maybe, and he could be rid of her for good. No more chases, no more dances, no more fucking card games. And no more problems with his itching conscience. It was her fault it had found him in the first place. Her fault it had pushed him to get involved in politics again rather than disappear. Her fault that it bothered him now. It was a dark road that lay ahead, but at the end of that road, he would finally have his freedom, and perhaps a measure of justice as well. On course for Earth, fugitives' engines burned across the inner solar system like the last embers of hope in a universe of emptiness. Chapter 5 Washington, D.C., 1 December 2129.
3: I don't care if you have to electrocute his secretary. You get me that appointment or we're screwed.
0: Sometimes reminding your strategic partners that they had skin in the game was the only way to get access on the hill.
3: Yeah, I know. Okay. Fine. I won't kill you today. Tomorrow, though, if you don't deliver... All right. Goodbye.
0: Marion Shelley pulled her headset from her head and set it on her desk. She closed her eyes and shook her head slowly, then pressed her face into her hands. She should be on a roll. Hell, she was on a roll. The appointments were filling her book, the final quarter's schmoozing couldn't have been better... Career-wise, she was at the top of her game, but it didn't feel real. She caught herself fiddling with her wedding ring. She still hadn't gotten rid of it.
3: Stop it, Marion. You're being a child.
0: It had been months since Percy had been stolen from her on Sidon. Five months. or Was it six now? Since she'd walked into that bathroom and the terrorists had beaten her and mutilated her and killed her husband in front of her, then left them both to bleed on the bathroom floor in The City in the Sky. Everyone expected her to be terrified, watching her back and sleeping with the lights on. Marion had a good idea of where everyone could shove their expectations. In the month that she'd been back at work, aside from a little bit that first morning, she'd not once shuddered going into a restroom or walking down a lonely hall. She'd been fine. Everything had been fine. The tears came sometimes, because her bed was cold, because her old apartment wasn't really home anymore, She'd taken a second one, and it wasn't home either, but at least she could afford the double rent for now. And because she had no family anymore that mattered. Her entire life ached like an amputated limb. She rubbed her face once more for good measure.
4: Alas for thee, alas and woe, who hast the longest row to hoe?
0: Marion spread her fingers apart and peeked over her desk at the blonde and purple streaked head that poked around the corner at her.
4: Perhaps above, perhaps below. Alack, there's dog shit on your toe! Hey, Janna.
0: Marion composed herself and flashed an obligatory smile. Judging by Janna's reaction, it wasn't altogether convincing. The public relations wonk crinkled her nose.
4: Hey, what am I, a horse? Sorry, I'm not feeling very poetic today. Be as prosaic as you like, but do it off the clock.
0: Janna tapped her watch, prompting Marion to look at the clock on her desk. Noon. That glorious time of day when all of D.C. flooded down into the frozen streets in an effort to stave off starvation for another few hours while beating the guy at the next desk to the primo networking opportunities. Marion seized her purse.
4: Where to today? There's this Chinese place down on the mall.
3: Janna, I don't want to walk all the way down to the mall today. Tough.
4: You need the exercise and you're gonna love the head waiter.
0: More matchmaking from the rookie divorcee. Great. Marion shrugged and followed Jana to the lift, down into the atrium and out into the cold. One blast of the winter wind was enough to make her wish she'd remembered her scarf, but taking the time to go back and get it, not to mention suffering the embarrassment of admitting that she was so absent-minded, wasn't worth the trouble. It was almost a twenty-minute walk through the cold and sardine press on the mall, during which Jana's chatter bounced off her. Marion talked back, but it was an automatic activity— she didn't notice much of what she was saying. It wasn't that she was caught up in the day. She wasn't caught up in much of anything. That was the problem.
4: Marion!
0: Janna waved a hand in front of Marion's face as they stood waiting at a crosswalk.
4: Are you in there? What?
0: Marion started.
4: Sorry. Are you okay? I'm fine. If you say so.
0: Janna shrugged and returned to her current rant complaining about the new advertising firm that had moved in down the hall from their office and was currently despoiling the second set of bathrooms with Impressionist artwork, which nicely bridged the rest of the walk, and most of the time they sat under the outdoor heaters waiting for a table. By the time they finally won through the front door of the restaurant to the warm garlickiness inside, Marion's stomach was torquing hard around the generous chunk of air that she'd spent all day chewing on. The first course, a small bowl of hot and sour with egg drops, went down like mulled wine less than ten minutes after the hostess brought it by. When the head waiter stopped to see how they were faring and ask after their drinks before sending his flunkies along to do the dirty work, Jana tittered. She should have been wearing a t-shirt that said, Nice shoes! It would have been less obvious. Marion suppressed a chuckle, contenting herself with rolling her eyes behind closed eyelids. He was cute, but he was no Percy. Not by a long shot. As the waiter moved off, Jana used her menu as a screen and stage whispered to Marion.
4: Oh my god, have you ever seen anyone so squeezable?
0: Marion allowed herself a private smile.
4: He's all right.
3: What are you ordering?
0: Jana nodded insistently at the waiter.
3: Come on! I'm telling you. Go on if you want him. I've had better.
0: Marion pursed a sly pair of lips.
4: Huh, says you.
0: Janna laid her menu flat again. With her companion fretting about the comparative virtues of the Szechuan ostrich and the Kung Pao chicken, Marion let her eyes wander as her words caught up with her. She did have better once, not that long ago, right up until she walked into that bathroom and-
3: Stop it, Marion. You won't bring him back that way. Don't go in there again. You won't come out.
0: The sounds of that day had seared her mind. She couldn't afford to listen to them again. Ever. No matter what. That's not the way life was supposed to be. They were supposed to have children, and then grandchildren. They were supposed to see a hundred together. He wasn't supposed to be gone. Her finger was on her ring again. She let it linger. It made her feel like she hadn't lost all of him. Not just yet. She took a deep breath and turned her attention to the menu. But the long list of culinary temptations seemed suddenly superfluous. The soup had topped off her stomach, and anything more seemed beside the point. The restaurant bustling around her seemed like the soundtrack of a half-remembered movie, fading into the background as her gaze slid over the different faces in the place. The woman with the oversized wedding ring and the older man. Did she marry up, or was he her father? After all, most wealthy men didn't allow themselves to look that old. Or the girl, probably a page and definitely no older than twenty, who sat alone, poring over a PPD and looking wistfully over at the fish tank every time the chef reached in to catch someone's meal? Was it her first season on the hill? Was she missing a lover back home? Or hoping to find someone better here?
4: Marion! You need to order something.
0: Janna, waving at her again. The woman should be directing traffic for all the waving that she did. Marion folded her menu and handed it to the
3: waiter. Egg rolls and seaweed salad. Chili paste on the side.
0: The waiter bowed obsequiously and turned back to Jana, who continued fretting over the menu in order to bask in the presence of her new obsession a few seconds longer. Marion wondered if, in the whole room, there was anyone like her, living in that strange world in between togetherness and aloneness, where the ashes of last life's longings hadn't quite finished cooling. Where walking away from them through the snow meant facing a kind of cold you couldn't understand, even when you were in it. Where the ashes whispered from behind you, tempting you back for one more chat by the fire, one more memory of warmth. She didn't see anyone who looked like that, except when she caught her own reflection in the fish tank. Then again, she supposed she looked just as normal to everyone else as they looked to her. Maybe everyone felt that way and had agreed to keep quiet about it so that they could get through the days without breaking down. She hated seaweed salad almost as much as she hated egg rolls, but the chili made them both palatable enough to choke down politely. Jana probably wouldn't notice, and if she did, she probably wouldn't say anything. If she did, Marion wouldn't be able to explain herself. How do you tell a friend in public,
3: I used to come here with my husband but I can't stomach the dishes I like because the taste makes me remember his face.
0: She loved his face. Not being able to think about it was one of the most precious memories they'd stolen from her. Whoever they were. Besides, even mentioning Percy's face aloud in Washington was likely to get her mobbed and probably make people at the nearby tables race to the toilet to be sick. The only reason they weren't mobbing her now is she'd changed her whole wardrobe and makeup routine so that she only slightly resembled the press coverage. The woman who survived the revolutionaries. The woman who brought us the message. The reason we'll never lay off Luna. No, there was no way she could even broach the topic. Not that it mattered. Janna was jabbering rapidly enough for two hopping topics with the slightest prodding, nodding, and affirmative grunting from Marion as she circumnavigated the landscape of human interaction, spiraling ever more inward on the topic Marion had suspected from the beginning was on her mind. She thought she was being subtle. Janna was as subtle as a hysterectomy.
4: So the problem is that we don't have any way to blackmail him. We need your poll. My poll? If we're gonna get the bill introduced before the Christmas recess... It's not my client.
0: Marion took a sip of her tea and tried again to ignore the conversation, but Jana, having worked up to her point, wasn't going to back off it.
4: Nope, but it's your access.
0: And there it was. Marion returned her attention to the fish tank, but found the view blocked by a man who looked to be in his early twenties, dressed more like a grad student than someone from the hill. His tea steamed untouched in front of him, his full attention absorbed by a leather-bound journal and a pencil, She kicked herself for feeling a pang when she looked at him, at the simple joy he had of the career she'd skipped over once upon a time. She was too young to be thinking about paths untaken. And yet, here she was, going through the motions in a life that didn't make any kind of sense to her anymore. Marion knew it was only a matter of time before someone asked her to use her influence again. Over the course of her brief career, she'd managed mostly to avoid being her father's unofficial ambassador. Used to be she didn't mind trading favors, using her position to get her colleagues in, even using her clout as his daughter to muscle her way into other offices to get her clients their due hearing. But not now. The Honorable Senator Shelley. God damn him. God damn his self-seeking posturing, his withered soul. She hadn't spoken to him since she'd woken up in the ICU on Sidon, and she wouldn't. Not again. Not ever but she hadn't yet been able to face what that meant for her career.
3: No, I can't...
0: She broke off. It wasn't any of Jana's business, and it was juicy enough gossip that it would make the rounds in the office by the end of the day. She muttered something about ethics and hoped Jana would drop the matter. Which she didn't. Jana cocked her head sideways and took a sip of her tea while Marion returned her attention to the man with the journal. She envied him. She wondered what it was like to be him. Not much younger but to have the freedom to just sit alone in a restaurant, unaccosted by anyone, nibbling on an egg roll and pouring her thoughts out on paper.
4: What's up in your gourd, girl?
0: Jana's words filtered through to Marion again, but they didn't make an impression.
4: You're not here. You haven't been here all day. What are you- Oh.
0: Jana's sudden silence startled her. Marion glanced back to see Jana following her eyeline to the young man. The streaky-haired woman's eyes narrowed, and she looked Marion up and down as if she were reappraising her. Then leaned forward and whispered,
4: Hark! I fear I apprehend the cause of your unease. You've had no finger in your end. Your lust you must appease.
0: Marion blushed in spite of herself, and hoped nobody else could hear the body, Bardette.
4: Oh, hush. Hmm. No wonder you're useless. You haven't gotten laid yet, have you?
0: Marion blinked, turning the full glare of her aristocratic upbringing on the commoner before her. Excuse me? With Jana's sense of protocol, the West Coaster wasn't going to survive long in Washington.
4: I know I never snapped out of it when my husband left till I loosened up and got a good suing too.
0: Marion felt an unpleasant shudder creep up through her. She hadn't even been able to think about it. Not since... No. She was not going to talk about this in public with the office limerick
3: peddler. Send me the information on your client, I'll see what I can do.
0: Her voice was as flat and businesslike as she could make it without being downright rude. Janna, thankfully, took the hint and broke back into sporadic flurries of jabber, leaving Marion Free to study the tablecloth for a while before she got bored and returned to surveying the room. The food came and went without anything else memorable being said. It tasted exactly like she needed it to, unfamiliar and barely tolerable. The man at the table by the fish tank seemed to finish up about the same time as they did, and Marion found herself urging Janna on in her pontifications through a third cup of tea in defiance of the waitstaff's clear wishes that they vacate the table to make room for the next batch of people in the queue. When the writer finally closed his book and stood, Marion followed suit, letting Janna lead her out toward the door. When they squeezed through the bottleneck, she brushed past him, enjoying her fantasized camaraderie with someone who she'd probably never even set eyes on again. The wind outside had picked up, freezing ice to sidewalks old enough not to have embedded heating coils. The lunch hour foot traffic had thinned. The skeletal cherry trees lined the mall like bitter memories. In the gray between seasons of light, Marion found herself wondering if summer would ever come again or if she'd actually wanted to. As long as the world was cold and dark, as long as the weather and the world seemed to mirror her grief, she didn't have to move. But there was Jana's request, and it wouldn't be the last. A lobbyist's career depended upon favor trades and access, and her name gave her a backstage pass. To him. She could scream, she could claw his eyes out, she could bash his goddamn head in. It should have been him that died, not Percy, anyone but Percy, and she'd be damned if she was going to do business with that man again. There weren't enough baubles in the world to pay her to stuff her hatred enough to breathe his air ever again. If she didn't, if she stuck to her guns and refused to call him for anyone, life was going to get complicated, or impossible, She drew the freezing air deep into her lungs and held it while they ached. That was okay. That was the kind of pain she could control. But him. Put a man under strain and you see who he really is. When she'd been laying there carved up like a stake, her husband dead, he'd told her to remember she was his daughter. Being upset reflected poorly on him. Well, she was perfectly happy to fail in her duty. If she was lucky, he'd get hit by a car and die before they could change out his black heart, and if he did, she'd be perfectly happy to spit on his grave in front of the reporters. If she lived to be two hundred, she would not so much as share a bus with him. Never again. Her hands were getting numb. Marion reached into her left coat pocket to retrieve her gloves and found a slip of paper. Grasping it clumsily between fingers that couldn't quite feel their way around anymore, she pulled it out and looked at it when she hit the red light at the next crosswalk.
3: Noticed you watching. Do you like piano? 8 p.m., Friday. Icicle at gelato.net
0: Marion crumpled the paper up and tossed it into the gutter and continued to her office. Once in her cubicle... She put some Chopin on the music service and returned her attention to her work. You've been listening to Episode 9 of Free Will and Other Compulsions, Book 2 of The Antithesis Progression, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Free Will is produced by Kitty McKeon, J. Daniel Sawyer, and Paul Streeler. This episode starred Lorian Wheeler as Jade, George Klensaus as Douglas Reeves, Christiana Ellis as The Agitator, Kitty Nikian as The Ambi, Miss Callender as Alyssa Hartman, Veronica Jaguer as Marion Shelley, Andrea Fender as Janna, and Dave Robison as Blake. Public domain sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds designed and recorded by Artistic Whispers Productions. This podcast is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Lincoln City, Oregon. The book is copyright 2009, J. Daniel Sawyer, and the production is copyright 2010 to 2016, Artistic Whispers Productions. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Atheus Radio Theater presents The Arbiter Chronicles.
2: Time to impact 1 minute 30 seconds. Metcalf, this is pointless. Surrender and die like warriors. All sections read out. Armory. Ready. Battery Alpha, status. Battery Alpha, offline. Battery Beta, status. Battery Beta, offline. Metcalf, for God's sake. Battery Gamma, status. You don't believe in God. Battery Gamma offline. I think I may be starting to. Battery Epsilon status. Battery Epsilon active and locked on target is ordered. Battery Epsilon. Battery what? Epsilon fire. What? The Arbiter Chronicles has been in production in some form since the year 2000. The audio dramas have won the Mark Time Silver Award and the Parsec Award. The novels Taken Liberty and Unfriendly Persuasion developed the story more. The newest Arbiter Chronicles project is the novel Sacrifice Play, which will be released simultaneously as an audiobook and a print novel. The goal of the Sacrifice Play Kickstarter is to pay for the legal and production costs of releasing the book and to pay a professional rate to the artists who are voicing the full cast audiobook. It's taken a lot of very special people to make the Arbiter Chronicles happen for the last 15 years. Sacrifice Play is your chance to be one of them.
0: I'll be honest with you. Antithesis is, for me, kind of like Sauron. It follows me around, dogs my conscious thought, and it's been screwing up my life for a while now. The book you're listening to, Free Will, book two, you know the one I mean, the one I can't seem to finish podcasting, is the first book I ever wrote that scared the living hell out of me. Not because it's a frightening book, because finishing it and looking back over it frightened me. It stretched me so much as a writer that I thought I might break. And I didn't realize that at first. I just knew that every time I came around to do a major bit on the podcast or to try to write book three, I'd get sidetracked. A lot of the reasons were legitimate. A lot of them were big. But underneath, there was something there I was running from. I had inklings about this for a while, and I might even have mentioned it here or on the next 10,000 hours, but it wasn't until episode 8 which was way, way too long ago, I know, that it really dawned on me how profoundly intimidated I was by this series. Which, of course, meant that I had to find a way to work myself into a situation where it was the primary focus of my life. I had two books in process at the time, so I promised myself that once they were done, I was not allowed to do any fiction but antithesis. Well, in the middle of those two books, I wound up writing a third book for a craft class I was taking. It was a short story assignment that escaped. You know how it works. And life threw a couple major curveballs that slowed down my writing to a crawl. But I have finally got them all done. And now, finally, I'm back in. The Lantham books for 2016 are done. There's two of them, they're coming out soon. The final book in the Suave Rob trilogy is done and will be out a little bit later. And now... Now it's all about Joss and Allie and Doug and Cassie and Jade. My whole world is now locked up with these characters. And I'm shooting straight through the next three books in a row to close out the series. By the way, if you want to follow my progress through book three, I'm blogging about the writing every night at jdsawyer.net. It's turned out to be a hell of an incentive. So yeah, we've got the next four episodes in the can, aside from a couple of bit parts here and there, and I'm recording more narration a little bit every day. We've still got some casting to do, and we still have the auditions that you guys sent in, so you guys that sent them in will finally be hearing from us. If you want to grab a bit part and haven't sent in an audition, drop me a line at feedback at jdsawyer.net, and we'll set something up. On to other business. Eleven of you have jumped into the Patreon, which is fantastic. You've already pulled a few primo rewards, like the ebook of Suave Rob 2, and uh, I don't remember what else right now. I think there was a Lantham book in there too, maybe, but it's late, and it's been a long few days, so I'm a little punchy. But you've gotten really cool stuff, and all the books I just talked about will, of course, be coming to the feed for those of you who are in at the right level so if you want to get a good deal on the books as well as support the podcast that's the way to go particularly since the feed is set up to charge per episode rather than per month so if i don't produce you don't pay and i'd be lying if i said having you there didn't help motivate me to get everything else off my plate so i could focus just on antithesis Paul Streeler, Zanko, Travis Wade, Ben Sawyer, Nobilis and D. Reed, Chris Lester, Puck Malmud, Dan Leike, Sebastian Brandt, Dan Charette, Logan Waterman, you all rock! And you'll be getting those new books in the next couple of weeks to keep you company on those stormy spring evenings. If you like what you're hearing and you want to jump in and support this podcast on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash JD Sawyer or leave a tip in the tip jar on the website and please tell your friends we've been gone for a while and there's a lot of folks who've forgotten about us we've just dropped off their podcatchers and the fact that you guys are still here you have no idea what it means to me but we've got to find them again so they can find out whether the revolution gets off the ground or if the counter push buries it while it's still in its crib Drop feedback to feedback at jdsawyer.net or call the voice line with your comments, questions, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats at 434-9-DEAL-IN. That's 434-933-2546. Once we get some good road beneath us, we'll start doing Dealing In shows again. I can't wait till that happens. God, it feels good to be back. Be sure to join us again two weeks from today. And until then, will Joss Kyle's plan really work? What will Doug do now that jades shut him out? Who is Icicle? And what will Marion find if she emails him? And perhaps most importantly, what will happen with the growing unrest in Luna City? Find out next time, and remember, it isn't whether you win or lose, it's how you rig the game.